0: gentlemen welcome back to another episode of not another whiskey podcast i am your co-host nicholas polacki joined today of course by my beautiful co-host mr mitch bouchard mitch how are you doing mate
1: beautiful now how, how am i beautiful now mate that's kind of weird i've been drinking heavily okay so. get it get it there we go
0: <laughs> We have. A fantastic... i'm not gonna argue with you though Well, <laughs> take what you can get mitch uh to be fair we have a wonderful uh, guest today a man who i fantastically and very fortuitously bumped into in Chicago just a couple of weeks ago uh, as we were out at um, something called Discus and I ended up in this kind of little room where they were kind of being showcased around all these wonderful spirits, bit of rum, lots of whiskeys from Australia and I bumped into the wonderful Mr. David Vitale who's joining us here today. Dave, thanks very much for being a, a, a guest. I am. G'day Mitch, g'day Nick, how are you? G'day indeed. Yeah. <laughs> is
2: that is
0: this, is this you leaning heavily into this too? Because Dave, you live in the States now, is that correct? I do, I do. I've turned into a
2: bit of a, like I need to enunciate my R's. So I think just talk like a pirate and that makes everybody understand <laughs> what I'm saying, you know.
0: I think that's, uh, that's just good advice for life, just to walk around talking like a pirate.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I think you're the only person right now, Dave, that's working on this day because, as we record this, it's the Fourth of July, obviously. So, uh, being an Aussie, you don't give a shit, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's um, it's it's a very the first year that I was in the United States, I actually went to Canada on the Fourth of July, which was almost enough to revoke my visa. I think.
1: <laughs> so, Dave, I want to get into these whiskeys here because um, you kindly sent me samples nicholas have you got yours yet i have yes the first this time ever wait this Fucking is, the first, this is, of this of is the first time ever yeah <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable we well, both got samples so both got, yeah. we we're actually doing a double take on this so we we tried to do this recording last week but we had some tech issues um but the the night before that so it was a week yesterday uh, i got into your samples a little bit believe it or not, with some Aussies that were in my house. And they were actually from Melbourne, which I know where your wonderful distillery is from as well. Were they captives uh, or were they guests? It, well, yeah. I, mean, I <laughs> kept, kept them locked into the whiskey snug. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, like I, I want to get into your story first. Like, What inspired you to embark on this journey creating Starboard? Because I know whiskey wasn't your uh, your background initially. Um, So can you share the story behind that decision?
2: Yeah, um, actually, my first love when it comes to alcoholic beverages is beer. Like we were just talking about that. So I'm a very, very, very frustrated uh, home brewer at the moment because (laughs) like every ounce, every liter of beer that we make, we turn into whiskey. Um, Yeah, that was my first love. I, I grew up in an Italian household. And so, you know, obviously growing up, we didn't see a lot of whiskey, we we saw a lot of wine, right, that was what, that's what everyone drank around the dinner table, it was um, certainly what my uncles tried to make, um, and didn't do too great a job of, and so that was my, that was the childhood, like beverage was, you know, at the dinner table was, was wine, and then, you know, whiskey was very revered, it was what we gave our accountant for Christmas, you know, yeah. um, and was also what my greek friends dads drank when they were playing poker that's all i knew of whiskey. <laughs> it was something very special and something that you know was for, for definitely old men right and so um i thought that that might be part of my drinking journey at some point but it's going to be a l- a lot later on um so I, I love making craft beer. And the thing I love about craft beer is that, you know, when you when you start to dive into that world, there's, well, the, the beer shop that I used to go to had like 40 yeasts on the shelf. And you had another, you know, um, seven or eight grains that you could purchase. And it's probably increased now. You know, both of those have probably increased now. And so when you factor all of that out, there was hundreds of different types of beers that you could make. And yeah. I thought that, that was a lot of fun and exciting because you could explore flavor. And then given that, you know, I was a bit of a loved cooking at home and um, I thought, well, this is going to be fun. Like I can kind of take all of that idea of how we craft food and and, and make combine flavors into into the beer world. Um, I was in tech at the time. I owned my own e-learning business. This is late 90s, early noughties. So real bleeding edge of e-learning. Yep. Um, and sold that business in 2005. And the gag during the pandemic was that like, yeah, I just didn't see any future in e-learning. So I gave that business away. <laughs> um, uh, and And thought, that's it. I've sold the business. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? I'm going to set up a craft brewery. And at that point in time, there may have been 10, 10 or so craft breweries in, in Australia. And what, when I mean craft, you know, very, very small. Like the biggest of them would have been um, like Mountain Goat in, in Melbourne, which is now owned by Asahi. But um,
0: don't know them. Never heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> So a brand. little startup company, is it? Yeah, startup <laughs> from Japan. Um,
2: so, so, but it was very, very small nascent industry, like the 1980s of, of American craft beer, right? Um, and I thought this is going to be great. I can get in at the ground level and start to think about beer um, for drinkers like me that were interested in flavor, and got really excited by that. Um, I happened to fall in love at the same time, and we moved to Tasmania. And so the idea was like, we're going to set up an organic Tasmanian microbrewery. That was the big vision. There's one small problem with that, and that's that good beer doesn't travel well. If I did want to kind of take something to the world and have something that was really um, exciting from Australia, that sort of represented the best that we could possibly do, um, then organic craft beer from Tasmania is the worst possible idea, you know, just in terms of I mean, getting it to the mainland is is a task enough, let alone the rest of the world. And so I shelved that idea, but um, very quickly discovered um, the Lark Distillery, which was the one of the first, if not the first licensed distillery in Tasmania um, after 150 years of like no licensed spirits distilleries in Tasmania. And Um, I walked into this little cafe, waterfront cafe and distillery, it said on the front. So I just kind of thought distilleries were for perfumes. I didn't know what it was, but as soon as I walked in there, there was a copper pot still just in the doorway. There's barrels of whiskey aging. And as you kind of walk through this cafe of, you know, tables and chairs, the bar and the counter where you ordered your coffees had about 150 single malts on the back bar and my mind was blown. Oh. Because this was 2004, I'm gonna say, and it's
0: pretty progressive for 2004.
2: Exactly. Like, I mean, today a back bar with a you know of a of an establishment with 150 single malts is not, you know, far fetched. But back then, that was something to behold. And I had no idea. Like I said, it was Johnny Walker's and Shivers Regal was like my world reference point. And so all of a sudden, I looked at these single malts and realized that these were the craft beers of the whiskey world. That was the beginning of the end for me. Like, you know, like, <laughs> it was just, you know, this is going to be the rest of my life for yeah. sure.
0: That's super cool. We've seen a massive rise in popularity of Australian whiskeys in recent years. What factors do you think have attributed to this kind of increased recognition? And how have you seen it kind of impact your growth and like your reach?
2: Yeah, look, I think um, there was a pivotal moment in the history of Australian whiskey in 2014, and that was when Sullivan's Cove from Tasmania yep. won World's Best Single Malt. Not just the best of the rest of the world; it was up against Scotch whiskey and anywhere anywhere else that was making single malt whiskey at the time. It was a pretty exciting moment because we had just launched about nine months beforehand. If you if I had a chart of my sales and just showed you the chart and i'd said to you guess when sullivan's cove won the award it would be blindingly obvious when that was for two reasons the first is that every you know a, a rising tide lifts all boats so yep. we we leveraged off that oh maybe australia does make great whiskey but the second was you know my hair-brained idea was to make as much whiskey as i possibly could and begged, borrowed, and steal, stole to, to do that, or well, maybe not stole, but almost, you know, um, to do that, you know. And so when the award came out, the only whiskey that was on the shelf after all of the Tasmanian craft whiskeys were, were gone was Starwood. And that's been a hallmark of the reasons why I started the distillery was to be always available, a really consistent whiskey that was... Perhaps people's entry point into Australian whiskey, and maybe even whiskey period, like altogether, that was the ambition, um, and we're going to do that by being a modern alternative to the traditional Scotch whiskey, Scotch whiskies that were available, and a modern version of like that very uh, tried and too, true method of like American sort of nostalgia that that bourbons at that point in time had really leaned into. So we wanted to be an Australian whiskey that talked to the place it's made. Um, and that was that was the turning point for Starwood. And so I think that awards make a big difference. Awards make a huge difference to people's awareness of the product. Yep. The funny thing is that you know, we've tried to make a really consistent whiskey for the last, uh, you know, since we started 15 years ago, it was always for me like a consistent whiskey is the way that we're going to kind of win hearts and minds. And so we've, like, last year and this year have won 12 double gold medals from the San Francisco World Spirits competition back-to-back, 12 last year and 12 this year. And then, you know, last year that got us Distillery of the Year, which is a huge, huge um, accolade for a fledgling distillery from Melbourne. We're the youngest distillery in the history of the competition to win that award. Um, But funnily enough, we haven't changed anything about the way we make whiskey. You know, and so I think it's been just a recognition of like a different style of whiskey. And when you kind of think of whiskey, you know, from certain parameters of like, is it well-crafted? Is it distinctive? Does it kind of um, relate to my palate the way other whiskeys do, but in a way that's like uniquely their own? And once you kind of look at it from those kind of hallmarks, Starwood definitely stands out. You know, so I think for a lot, a lot of those early years, we didn't even get medals, which are almost like participation awards. You know, if you're getting like a, a, a bronze or a, you know, like just a medal, like yeah. you get a medal. You showed up to the race. It's yeah, like, that, it's yeah. like over in America, mate, you know, all, all the kids do all this stuff yeah. and they just get a medal
1: for like, whatever, whatever they want to do, you know, everyone gets a trophy.
2: Some years we didn't even get a medal. And that was just, I think people were like, what is this? Yep. Yeah. Right. And now now we're getting recognised as like some of the world's best.
1: That's fantastic. So good. And it's so interesting you say that. I mean, I remember almost the same thing happened with Japanese whisky, right? 2008 World Whisky Awards. It was blended and single malt Japanese whisky won best in the world. And everyone in Scotland went, wait a minute. They're not going to be doing that. That's going to be our our awards over there. But I want to I want to bring it back to Australian whisky here because you already mentioned Lark whisky earlier on. And you know Bill Lark is kind of considered one of the, the sort of grandfathers, if you like, of Australian whiskey. I think was he? Did you go to him at all and say, "Hey, Bill, we're going to start this distillery. Have you got any advice to us?" Or was did that was that something that came later on?
2: Oh, Mitch, I did one better. I convinced him to give me a job. So it was at the Lark <laughs> Distillery that this happened, and I had all of this good beer doesn't travel well, sort of mindset of like, I want to take something to the world. This is amazing. Why doesn't anyone know about? what's going on in this small corner of the world. It's bloody delicious. You know, at that point in time, I was introduced to the Belveni Doublewood, which was my gateway single malt. And I thought, well, anything that I'm drinking from Tasmania is equally as good as this. I worked with Bill and Lynn Lark uh, for three years, learning how to make whiskey, how to sell it, what, what it was, what the conversation was. And the inspiring thing about Bill he's a traditional traditionalist anti-establishment person it's kind of a like a bit of an enigma right in terms of loves the history of scotch whiskey and irish whiskey loves it like just you know in his mind it's like i want to make whiskey the way it used to be made and all those sorts of nostalgic kind of touch points but then it was like i'm gonna stick it to the man at the same time (laughs) but but the man wasn't scotch (laughs) which i thought was kind of interesting and and really wise in a in a way, because he was pioneering a new category. Yep. Totally. And if you didn't have the goodwill of um, the Scotch whiskey industry to support you, then you're in trouble. I think it was Lark's website. It was definitely one of the Tasmanian whiskey websites early on. We make Tasmanian whiskey in the finest of Scottish traditions. And and I kind of, like, provoked the teams to say, I think we're okay with whiskey made in the finest of Scottish traditions like there's plenty of those on that back bar what about Australian? you know what sets us apart how yeah. do we kind of convince a drinker to have a fourth whiskey at that point in time it was you know to your point um it's like just basically Scotch Irish bourbon American if we kind of put bourbon and rye together together and I was like we can be a fourth pillar you know of, of whiskey and it can be Australian whiskey but if it's the same as Scotch whiskey, then why are people going to put it on their bar cart at home?
1: Yep. And so and I I love that because that that was going to be the next. I wanted to bring it back to star wars here and one of these incredible samples that you sent us because you know when these four bottles arrived, which I was really surprised at. I'm like, wow, you guys sent four bottles. That's that's amazing. Thank you very I only much. Too, but f- <laughs> <the> f- <laughs> you only got one. What are you talking that, about? That would have been perfect. <laughs> I, I say just. I was like, mean, just send Nicholas. Was it?
0: Yes, <laughs> <Not gets> everything. Yes, <laughs> everything is insane. Yeah, go ahead, Mitch.
1: But you know what? It's, it's interesting, Dave, because you're chatting about you know how you didn't want to adhere, almost like do the Scotch whiskey thing, right? And the first bottle that popped out in the samples, and I know you guys, you know, experiment with a lot, and I think innovation seems to be integral with 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 Star Wars, right? The first one that I cracked open was this ginger beer cask because I'm like, I need to see what the fuck is going on here. And this blew my mind, man. Can you can you talk a little bit about this? I saw you guys had a stout cask coming out just recently as well. It's like in the next couple of weeks or so.
2: You're absolutely right. Like if anybody's familiar with the Australian whiskey regulations, it's literally one line, one line of regulations. That's all we need to adhere to. And it's the basics. It's a fermented grain mash that's distilled, doesn't tell you what type of still it is, doesn't tell you which grains you can and can't use, it just needs to be a a grain, doesn't have any kind of stipulations on the type of yeast or which ones you can or can't use, Um, no cut points on the distillation, which, you know, um, or the technology that you're using, it can be a column or pot, that's distilled and aged in wood for a minimum of two years. So it doesn't even stipulate an oak or a used barrel or a new barrel or char levels or anything like that. And then just has that age gate of two, a minimum of two to kind of qualify for quality, I guess, in their minds back in the day. Yep. This regulation goes back to, it's the second piece of uh, uh, legislation that was um, implemented after federation.
0: That was the second thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Priorities.
2: Ta- taxes and then whiskey because where are they getting the taxes from?
0: Correct. But I, I actually like this and I actually think this is this is where innovation can champion because when people talk about tradition, what they're really talking about is innovation plus time. Mm. It's not... The the, the, the the traditions of today is something that somebody did 30 years ago, 80 years ago, 100 years ago. Like... Japanese whiskey is a great example. You know? You're
2: absolutely right, Nicholas. And that that was kind of our mindset. Like, let's make our own new traditions with this regulation that's so broad you can shoot a cannon through it. You know what I mean? Like, why <laughs> would we tie ourselves down to this narrow, specific definition of whiskey? That's so well done, by the way, right? Yep. It's already well done. Like, what are we bringing to the conversation? And so that was kind of my provocation. And And so by the time it was really clear to me that after a few years in Tasmania, it was time to go back home to Melbourne, which is where I, where I grew up. Um, for a few reasons, I had a young family, and you know, uh, family support's helpful. But more importantly, I think what what we realised, both Bill, Lyn, and myself, was that my ambition for Lark was way bigger than their ambition for Lark at that point in time. But it wasn't because it was necessarily the wrong thing to do, but just not with their retirement savings. Fair enough. And so, um, so you know, I remember going into it was April two thousand and seven. I remember going into this board meeting, sort of with my like mindset of like either you're with me or you're against me kind of mindset. And it was kind of amusing because I think Bill, well, Bill actually said like Dave, we've been waiting for you to come to this conclusion for the last six months. You know, <laughs> um, of course, go you know, and set up set up the distillery that, you you know, that you think is the right thing for you to do. And there's plenty of space for everybody to thrive and grow. So with their blessing, you know, we started uh, Starwood in 2007 and haven't looked back. But, you know, you're totally right. That that idea of, like, what what's going to be the tradition of Australia in 30 years' time? Now, I don't necessarily think, Mitch, it's going to be ginger beer cask aged whiskey, that's going to be a stalwart tradition. And it already is. Like we, we'd never make enough of that. Every year we've kind of doubled production and we can n- never keep up. Like during the pandemic, obviously a little bit more uh, bored for time. I did the math and I think in 2020, you had more chance of getting into Harvard um, than you did one of these bottles statistically. Because we we set up a ballot, like a lottery to, to, to give away the bottles, such as the demand for it. Um, um, so it's definitely struck a chord with drinkers and it struck a chord for the very reason that we've been all been talking about innovation it's bloody delicious it's a lot of fun and um, it's something that would be really difficult to pull off in Scotland illegal to make in you know as a bourbon in the United States and so we kind of found something that was distinctly us if you, you know, back back in the day, we didn't have these premium mixes that were really well-balanced and exquisitely crafted products. It was either Schweppes or, you know, a local, you know, black and orange labeled product made for the supermarket. That's all you had as mixes. I was frustrated. I said to the team, why can't we just make a perfectly balanced ginger beer for our whiskey? And this was Solera back at the time. Which is our Apera aged whiskey, which is basically a pair's Australian sherry. But don't give it to a Spaniard and call it sherry. They'll probably shank you. Like uh <laughs> very, very different. Um, sherry to apera. So um the team, the team basically went off. I said, make me, make me a ginger beer that's perfectly matched to Starwood. And if you tell a brewer to make a beer, guess what? It's gonna be fermented and it's gonna be alcoholic. And they fermented the ginger beer in one of our old barrels. And so the mindset at the first instance, well, it's gonna have a bit more, bit more depth of character because it's extracting some of those uh, oak tannins into the into the ginger beer and maybe a bit of booze. And by the end of fermentation, it was like 115 and percent ginger beer, because it it also extracted a lot of the booze, or a lot of the whiskey in the oak. Uh, I'll give you the tip, one of those in the afternoon, and you you know, you're ready for a nap, you know, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> Lay down
1: in a dark room, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then back to work. So um, we drank the ginger beer, and then it was like, well, what are we going to do with this barrel now that it's been tainted in our minds with all this ginger? And it wasn't my idea. I can't take credit for this. It was Hugh Holtz, one of our original distillers, who now works for, a, like, as a consultant in the distilling industry in South Australia. He said, why don't we just fill some of our Solera vats into the barrel and see what happens sure let's do it and so we did that and then nine months later the first version of ginger beer cask was released I think there was like 43 bottles of it which is just enough for staffies really like between the staff members and the bar little little tiki bar at the distillery and people that drank it loved it and said you need to make more of this and so we did we made a 200 litre barrel and on off we went and I think you know none of us could have this is the the nature of innovation sometimes right like it, it came from a need internally to to just have better mixes right so yeah. we were after the ginger beer and then the ginger beer cask was the product that actually ended up being the, the the whiskey ginger beer cask finished whiskey was the thing that like you know we we have made eight versions of now um, the funny thing is that like at some point in the middle, they we were like, what are we doing with, you know, we, we were making way more ginger beer than anyone could possibly drink at a distillery. And so we actually worked with a local brewery and they, they um, sold their, you know, their alcoholic ginger beer um, that was aged in Starwood barrels. And we got the barrels that were for our, um, for our ginger beer. Now we use the ginger beer for our um, RTDs. So all of the, starwood and ginger that people are drinking makes the ginger beer casks for that particular release very
1: cool i, I was gonna it. say you have to do an rtd you guys love an rtd in australia though don't well you?
2: you know we'll put anything in a can right like a <laughs> our DNA. well and i was That's just great.
1: gonna say
0: the chances of mitch getting into harvard versus getting a bottle of this whiskey much more highly likely he gets he will get a bottle of this whiskey like i think your odds were slightly off there right mitch
1: Oh, yeah. i mean 100%, i think like
0: 100%. i know you've got a 4.0 average but i think that's your blood alcohol level not your grade score <laughs> <laughs> very good very, yeah. all right there courtesy of ricky Crawford, that joke so there you go anywho uh one of the things Dave, that we were looking at was like obviously specifically speaking about nova because i think nova is hands down one of the most exciting whiskies i've i've personally drank like it was the one whiskey that you and i sat and had at you handing me a glass of it in Chicago. And it's the first time I tasted it. It's won a ton of awards and accolades and global recognition. This obviously international acclaim in the, the approach to your production. Like you've now expanded out, you've got a global presence, you're collaborating and you're taking on investment and working with your your, your partner Diageo. Like what is your vision for what this brand is capable of doing, because I have honestly, I can honestly say it's 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 inspiring from my standpoint with where we are with our brand with Shabu. What you're doing right now is exactly how I think about how we look at whiskies and the, the rules and regulations around Australian whiskies is exactly how I think that the, the the world whiskey category should expand and explore. Like, what do you see the vision of of, of Starward being?
2: Look, you know, the the first line of the business plan, so this is after that chance meeting at the whiskey bar at Lark Distillery in 2005, I kind of went home and then started to think about whiskey. I couldn't stop thinking about whiskey. You know, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I thought, this is going to be it. This is what I'm going to do instead of the beer. It was a one-line mission, right, to offer the world a distinctly Australian whiskey with pride. That's it, Right. Everything that we do kind of comes back to that one mission, and it's still the same today as it was back then. Which is, you know, for any budding entrepreneur, like if you can nail your ambition and just kind of be true to that every day, and then find people crazy enough to jump on that journey with you before it's rational, right? Then, um, then you're onto something. And so everything that everything that we do kind of comes back to that sort of mission, like to offer the world. So it was always this idea of something that we could take to the world, a global whiskey that's going to sit on a drinks cart at home next to a Scotch, a bourbon, an Irish, a Japanese whiskey, the world, a distinctly Australian whiskey, right? So from day one, it was like, we can't out Laphroaig, LeFroig, You know, I don't have the chops to kind of turn up to a, a, uh, you know, a meeting with Jim McEwen and Mr. Patterson and say, yeah, we make Australian whiskey better than the Scots do, you know, in the finest of Scottish traditions. Like I just couldn't po- possibly think of saying that, right? Yep. Um, But we, you know, but I could say we make Australian whiskey better than you can make Australian whiskey, you know? Yep, And um, here's why, you know, we'll talk about that in a sec. So this this distinctly Australian whiskey was really important. And that's born of the place it's made, like great whiskies are, the ingredients, the climate and the culture with pride. That's the bit that's sort of like, okay, let's just make sure this is a well-crafted product that has the potential to put us on the map, you know, and, and they were the touch points. The next thing after that was what are my inspirations? What are my inspirations to making whiskey? If I really want to kind of do this and be distinctly Australian and be relevant to global whiskey drinkers, some of which don't know they like whiskey yet, by the way, like me at that point in time, how are we going to do this? And I and I kind of thought I, I need to have some touch points in 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 whiskey making. And the five whiskies that inspired Starwood were Johnny Walker Black, Maker's Mark. Belveni Doublewood, Laphroaig 10 or any Laphroaig, um, and Wild Turkey 101 and I'm not talking like inspiration from a flavor perspective because if you married those together that would be the pure definition of a whiskey Frankenstein right like it's not that it was more from well Johnny Walker Black has had six blenders in its 200 year history and you can thread a needle through it. That's how consistent it's been over the years, right? It's changed, obviously. But the hallmarks of what makes Johnny Walker Johnny Walker are still the same. Maker's Mark is nailed, like, accessibility and approachability in bourbon, right? It's high wheat content whiskey. Um, it also was talking about premium before premium was a thing. Belveni Double Wood. It's just delicious and exceptionally. You know they talk about their craft being so important to how they make the whiskey, and it was my gateway single malt. So how could it not be part of the story? Lefroy Ten, you know when you pop the cork on a Lefroy bottle of Lefroy or Ardbeg for that matter, or Lagavulin or any of the peated whiskies, that you're drinking peated whiskies. Mm. And so when I talk about a distinctly Australian whiskey, that's the benchmark. That, like, you put it to your nose and say, This is remarkable for all the good reasons and very different to anything that I've had before.
1: Mm.
2: You know, it's very distinctive, like Lafroy. And maybe one day we could be as iconic as Wild Turkey 101. They were the inspirations for Starwood. And so, Nova and Twofold, their core products that are aged in red wine barrels and left field in the United, you know, the UK and Europe all have that sort of, that. that's the framework with which we kind of have started thinking about crafting these whiskeys, you know, aging in red wine barrels, which at the time was, everybody thought we were crazy for a few reasons. And 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 don't get me wrong, they were kind of like heart in my mouth moments along the way. Like it didn't, it wasn't looking all that great. That Starwood has a tendency during its teen months to kind of um, be very teenager like you know unpredictable not obedient
1: sort of take its own path It doesn't. And why is sure. that is that something to do your new make spirit or is that the client no it's
2: actually the new makes beautiful like the new makes that modern era of new make production which is more like a barley schnapps than it is like yep. traditional scotch malt whiskey new make spirit that needs time in wood to become what it becomes right um and that's a product of fermentation. It's a product of distillation. It's a product of the barley that we're using that makes that really delicious New Make spirit. It's actually the oak. You got to remember that, like when we're working with red wine barrels, but you know, a red wine barrel doesn't have any char, right? It's not a charred American oak barrel or charred French oak barrel. And char in in uh, whiskey is really important because it's caramelizing tannins and lignins in the oak. And turning them into delicious flavors and also creating a carbon filter to filter out a lot of those nastier compounds in in spirits. Now we weren't doing that. So it was a big bet. And it wasn't the new make that was the problem. We didn't need the char. In fact, we charred a lot of our early barrels with with Solera. And it would be like nine months later in Melbourne's environment, it was like, where did our spirit go? Because we yeah. worked so hard to make this delicious spirit that it was completely cleaned up. In the oak, it was more to do with the fact that we're engaging with maybe toasted oak, right? That's the level of uh, interaction of, of heat in in the wood, and so uh, between the wine character and the oak character, it just goes through a bit of an unbalanced phase of like it, you know, like it's just not an integrated whiskey, um, and it just needs one more summer in Australia, and then it just turns into this beautiful liquid that we all know and love. Um, but red wine barrels is the key because obviously we we drink a bit of wine in Australia. We make a bit of wine. We make way more than we drink. And so we had this uh, abundance of flavour influencer right on our doorstep. And we were able to get these wine barrels from the winery to the distillery very quickly, overnight usually. Wine goes out and whiskey goes in. And so all of a sudden, that conversation that the spirit's having with the wine is really influenced not only by the fruit, whether it's Shiraz, Cabernet, or Pinot, but also the wood policy of the winemaker. Like, we've got Shiraz producers that are using French oak barrels. Obviously, a lot of them are using American oak barrels. Some of them are medium toasts, or like, um, you know, we actually do char some of our barrels just to give it a bit more um, uh, flavour. Um, there's um, different forests, both in France and America, that winemakers are choosing to select the oak from to craft their particular wine. And that has an infl- influence. It's been at the winery for a few vintages or one vintage. That's going to have an impact on flavour. So when you factor out, like, this family tree of barrels that we have access to, it's there's about 140 different types of barrels that we use to craft nova and twofold and left field you know and left field is 100 french oak so they're instantly that's 72 of the 144 because we're not looking at the american side of the family which is a bit more bombastic and loud and like you know um in your face american oak com- and americans compared to the french oak which <laughs> is um a bit more nuanced and delicate and soft so we've got these, I call them, you know, if we're thinking of like a, a painting a picture, when, you know, in the American context, you just got one, you're working with charcoal quite literally, right? It's, it's one color, you're making a charcoal drawing. Now you can grade eight and have like, use your hand, right? To have a darker, darker elements of charcoal on the page to craft this beautiful picture or lighter shading um but it's still either black or white whereas we're using um 140 different colors to get a higher resolution picture which helps with consistency and it also helps with um that distinctive flavor profile
1: we we did some stuff in on australian whiskey we had craig johnson from lark who you probably know Um uh, yeah. good scottish guy i think he's coming over to McAllen now and uh you know, when we were chatting to him, he said, "You guys have got I think it was over 300 distilleries, not just making whiskey, obviously, but it's kind yeah. of moved into yeah. that kind of craziness now. so double barreled question for you on that are you guys all like ha- playing happily families over there, are you all helping each other out?" And the other question that I wanted to ask you as well, you know, there's a big part of what we talk about on the show with regards to sustainability. We've done whole episodes on it, we've talked about what's going on in Scotland is there something being put in place in Australia and specifically with what you do at Starward with regards to your production, your sustainability program?
2: Yes, great question. So the first is, you know, as uh, Nicholas mentioned, we we um, had an Australia room at, at, a, at a conference. it's was a Distilled Spirits conference in, in Chicago. And so, you know, following on the footsteps of the way that Bill sort of thought, look, a rising tide lifts all boats, I need to be an inclusive kind of founding father of this whiskey movement and really craft spirits movement. Uh, we've we've carried on that tradition, so there were no bar fights. We all played happy, happy, uh, happy campers. Look, you know, and I feel it today. Like you know, just recently, Morris Distillery, which is up in Northern Victoria, just launched in the United States, and I think the Gospel Whiskey, which is another Victorian distillery. Has just launched in, a, in America as well. So there's three whiskies out of the I think 150 now distill whiskey distilleries that are that are in production at the very least. So about half of those are in on the shelf. Three, three of them. Now a category of one doesn't work, particularly in the United States where there's 60 feet of bourbon before you get to the five feet of whiskies, not from here, you know. So um I welcome and support the industry you know, as much as I possibly can, because I think that the more people learn about Australian whiskey, the better. With that broad regulation that we've got, it's, I think, the most exciting whiskey category in the world, because it's just not pinned down by anything, number one. Number two, you know, Western Australian barley is very, very different to Victorian barley, which is very different to Tasmanian barley. And so, and, and, you know, South Australians in the middle there, right? Like, so we grow malted barley for brewing across the country and of course it's going to have a different flavor profile even if it's the same uh genetic makeup which usually they're not you know so the strains are different that's going to make a difference in terms of flavor but also the terroir is different so that's going to make a huge difference just in terms of the sun forget about the ground the amount of sun that these grains get is going to be different in different parts of australia and then obviously the, the the climate's different. So when you factor all of those sorts of things into production, you end up with Starwood making a double grain whiskey, wheat and single malt aged in red wine barrels. And then we've got a single malt whiskey aged in red wine barrels. You've got a guy up the road, 10 kilometers up the road, making amazing rye, malted rye whiskey in a big column still. It's bloody delicious. And i take the keys to his distillery and you go down South into Tassie and there's like, you know, thirty odd single malt whiskey distilleries down there that are doing great things, and so it's a very, very, very exciting industry um, that I just think we're at the beginning of seeing yep. um, more of around the world, and I can't wait. I really, really can't wait.
0: That's brilliant, absolutely brilliant, mate. It's exciting times, right, for for barrel blends. So, do you think you'll yep. all? Do you think you'll always do Australian? distilled spirit do you think you'd ever venture into the world of world blending and some of the stuff that we're seeing in in japan and in the states and some stuff even in scotland now it's a good question
2: like we we were actually talking about this as a group um uh i think japan's kind of cornered the market in world blending they've been doing it for a few years now haven't they so like you
0: know um, (laughs) a hundred years (laughs) they're celebrating the 100 year anniversary of malt whiskey with nowhere to blend it so yeah 100 years of blending
2: (laughs) (laughs) so so you know japan's kind of cornered the market there and i think they're doing a great job of it i i think there's some exciting opportunities there it's not our story to tell but i think that you know um certainly from an aging point of view you know i think starwood has some of the hardest working barrels in the world you know just in terms of that Obviously, we're influenced by the outback and the weather coming in from the north into Melbourne, um, that hot, dry wind. And we also also got another desert to our south called Antarctica, right? So that has a huge impact as well. So that huge diurnal range um, would impact any spirit, regardless of where where it's made and what grains it's using.
1: Is my mic gone again? No, you're up. You're live. Oh, good. Okay. Thanks right, for giving David. me something to that though.
0: Jesus Christ, match! <laughs> Makes a change to me, for, <laughs> for me having a dip, pal. Well, the one thing I wish I could edit is that shirt you're wearing. Holy hell, man! <laughs> Dressed I'm in the shirt. dark again. Dressed in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. It's lovely. Do they do menswear? Are you finished? Are you finished? Can we get on with the show and stop
1: talking about my, my so, fashion? Sorry, Dave,
0: just give us a minute here. We're just
1: uh, trying to get through some stuff. <laughs> Dave, Dave, give me a minute while I virtually punch fuck out of him. <laughs> All right, we'll cut that. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to keep it. It's quite nice, right, Dave? I want to get into some quick fire questions with you if you're you're cool with that. Just to finish off the show, so, kind of something fun that we uh, we like to do. Um, Nicholas, you want to kick off with the first one? Sure, no problem at all.
0: We did chat a little bit about beer earlier, but are you a pot shinner, or a pint kind of guy? And what's your favourite Aussie beer right now? Ooh, pint. Pint, pint. of. Yeah, uh, Guinness. There you go. That's yes. nice. Beer. <laughs> but that was a good Irish answer. Yeah. You're not you're not you're not a
1: Forex fan, mate. Mm, I'll take a heart on Forex. Uh,
2: <laughs> you know, being being a Melbourne born and bred, I'm a VB kind of after freezing cold VB after mowing the lawn on a 38 degree day kind of. I guy. Agree.
1: Man, I like I liked to we VB when I was over there. Kind I of salty. Yeah. 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 All right. In the unlikely event that your whiskey could speak, what iconic Australian phrase or slang would it use to describe itself?
2: Oh, jeez, that's hard. What <laughs> iconic Australian <laughs> slang would it use to identify itself? <laughs> um, uh, oh, it'd be "How's it going, mate?" For sure. <laughs> it's, it's approachable, approachable
0: easy drinking sociable whiskey right not like ripper <laughs> <laughs> All right who's your favorite neighbor's character
2: oh um I'm gonna date myself
0: here Charlene yeah she was killing has to be Charlene how yeah. did ah I like Madge as well she was Charlene's mum <laughs>
1: You, you were Jason Jason Donovan, weren't you, Jay, uh, Nicholas?
0: Caroline and old Christina, old. mate. Caroline and Christina, the twins. Actually, so yeah. I will interject. Just at this point in the fire line, we'll, we'll do a quick... I actually went to the set. So I have a strange uncle, who's a great uncle that's sadly past a guy called Father Bob Maguire. Dave, I don't know if, you, if this name rings a bell to you or not.
2: Do Bob you know Bob. this guy? Yes.
0: Yeah, so He's he, he did a... He was my mum's uncle. Yeah, so he was my great uncle, was Father Bob Maguire. Yeah. yeah. So he love was a bit... He was a bit of a cool dude. Like he kind of was he was part, part of the church, but it was a bit of a renegade. Talk about renegades and he did renegade. a ton of stuff. With, sure. Like sure. they tried to kick him out. Like they wanted him out of the church. And he was like, no danger. His whole because he did so much stuff for homelessness. And like I think he was like won a ton of awards and, and, and highest things for stuff that he did in the community. But he was a bit of a rock star and he got me in at the age of I think it was eight years old. I got onto the set. I visited the I did seven weeks in Oz and i got onto the set of of neighbors and stood in like charlene's in and madge's kitchen and got like got to meet and christine i've got an old photograph i'll send you oh wow (laughs) right between the twins oh i lit up like a christmas tree. so i did it wouldn't
1: it it wouldn't be a podcast episode without nicholas's celebrity story would it there's
0: always one but this one was more about my celebrity great uncle who was who's a, a very good man sadly passed away very recently but yeah very very cool dude anyway so
1: right dave you. Right much. <laughs> have you serious question for you have you ever caught a whiff of vegemite in your warehouse and thought mm, maybe we're onto something here we could get this in a bit of star Wars.
2: i love vegemite i was a late convert convert to vegemite and the reason why was Is this um, awful? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> my, I don't think my mum quite understood. She kind of spread it on as if it was Nutella onto sandwiches.
1: Ah. way too much.
2: Way too it's much. It's got to be
1: thin. It's got to be a thin layer on
2: top of slatherings of butter. And now, mm. more modern kind of like
1: hipsters then put
2: some avocado on top, right? So, like, um, it's the the the, the improved avocado toast is with some Vegemite underneath it. So, like, I think um. You know, that umami punch would be really interesting, actually, with with um, with some red wine characteristics.
1: No shackles for, for you guys. It.
2: You could do it. You could do it. I'm up for it. Because it. it's just, you know, you've got my brain thinking then, too. Like, um, like art, you know, art, stuffed artichokes is an Italian delicacy. You know, palms yeah, yeah. and breadcrumbs in the leaves, and you kind of, like, eat them. And then anything you eat after that always tastes delicious, right? Chinnar in, in in the in the artichoke. That's why chinar is so great.
1: So there you go, everyone. When you taste your first veggie Star Ward, you heard it here first on the show. You can thank us <laughs> or for it.
2: Yeah, uh, it'll be great. It'll be great.
0: If you could do one thing in Australia, money and time is not an issue, what would you do?
2: Oh geez. Um, <laughs> set up the microbrewery. There you go. Like I wanted to do 15 years ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. Right. So Hardbeg recently jumped on the barbecue theme with an expression of their whiskey. Any plans for uh, throwing another shrimp on the barbie, Starward?
2: Uh, are you in our NPD meetings? What's going on? <laughs> what a mole we've got to fish out.
0: <laughs> Can you elaborate on that, or will we see no more?
2: We did do, like, a hickory-smoked whiskey, which was bloody delicious. The challenge, the challenge is you know if we're being serious the challenge is finding a molster that'll be up for kind of going down that path and certainly 15 years ago no you know like if i went to a molster and said hey i need 300 kilos of your best single malt can you smoke it for me too two word answer one syllable each you can figure it out right like <laughs> particularly accent, they're, they're, this is not going to happen but today the great news is that um there are a lot of monsters that are really keen to start thinking about like heirloom grains which is fantastic yep um and also um peat smoking which is awesome so That's i cool. think that you know, the, the The future looks really interesting for that level of innovation coming from the grain, which early on was just too hard for us to kind of contemplate.
0: And Dave, well, the last few questions that we've got for you are in the form of would you rather? I will preface this with Mitch Rice's, so expect them to be mental and crazy but at least it limits you to at least only one of two options so <laughs> would you rather have a pet kangaroo that constantly challenges you to a boxing match or a pet koala that falls asleep and clings to your head at the most inconvenient times a kangaroo a kangaroo
1: <laughs> <laughs> would you rather wear flip-flops or thongs as you guys say on your hands for the rest of your life or you must speak only in Australian slang no matter where you are in the world
2: i would the latter just for the, i mean it would be so much fun but i I don't think i can pull it off I'm, <laughs> I'm too, i've been too i've extricated myself from australia for too long now yeah. that kind of
0: <laughs> you turn <laughs> into know. alf from home and away right <laughs> yeah. would you rather ride a kangaroo to work every day complete with a custom kangaroo saddle or have a pet wombat that helps you with all your household chores wombat Yep. You know, Lovely
2: the floor, like you know, got grubby <laughs> kids, and they just kind of like, it'd be like a Roomba, but life a life like Roomba.
1: <laughs> I mean, both of those would be pretty fucking cool, though. You have yeah, to admit, it'd be a Woomba. Cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, cool. right David, <laughs> David that's for that's that's our stupid uh, questions out <laughs> of the way you'll be, you'll be glad to hear but tell us about like see on a serious note if if people are, are looking to find out about Wars, where can they go social media handles website do the plug
2: yeah so um obviously on all the socials we're Starward Whiskey um uh you know keep in touch subscribe on the on our, on our newsletter at starwood.com.au or starwood.com in the. US We have these limited releases like the ginger beer cast that come out and we reward loyalty like so they're typically available first if not exclusively online um and um yeah stay in touch that way. I'd love to kind of you know'm I'm, I'm becoming more increasingly more a founder and less like an operator of the business. So um, if you see me out and about, please um, say hi, and I'd love to share a drink with you.
0: Awesome, man. And you want to put your personal cell number up as well for people? <laughs> I'm, only I'm only teasing. Dave, all joking aside, you've been a fountain of knowledge, a champion of Australian whiskeys and the category. Uh, thank you for all you're doing. It's real, like I said, personally, I find this really inspiring. I found our chat in Chicago really inspiring as well. So thanks for being a guest on Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I'll sign off. Mitch, you want anything to say to our fabulous following before we go?
1: No, Thanks everyone for listening. And Dave, thanks for being on the show. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you for your time.
2: Absolute pleasure, Mitch. Thanks, Nicholas.
1: Cheers, brother.